there, and welcome to a special episode of the Punched and Played podcast. We're the sometimes funny, sometimes analytical podcast all about board games and the unique experiences they create. I'm one of your hosts, Sean Rose, and I'm joined by Jonathan Baker. Hey, everybody. And our special guest, Joel Versept. Hello. So Clint is on vacation right now, so he was not able to join us, but uh, we had an opportunity to play a game. And we wanted to kind of come together and share some of our thoughts. And since we all got to play it, we thought we'd sub Joel in for Clint, which I think is already an upgrade, if I might add. Definitely, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Jonathan, tell us a little bit about the game that we we are talking about today. Okay, we're going to talk about Millennium Blades. And this is a game that, uh, it's just an interesting idea of a game because you're playing as a character who is playing a collectible card game. So it's a collectible card game simulator. And as you play, you're kind of building up your deck and doing different things and trying to win tournaments and trying to get the best card collection to impress everybody else and earn money and and all these different things to uh, rack up the victory points to become the ultimate Millennium Blades champion. And it's kind of an alternate reality where, you know, this game's been around for thousands of years and it's well-respected. There's so many different versions of it and expansions have come out. And it's kind of like maybe the sports of, of this world. I reached out to uh, Brad Talton and asked him if he could uh, give us a review copy, and he graciously agreed to do that. He's the designer of the game, the publisher, uh, Level 99 Games. And so this was just a game I, th- I thought it sounded fascinating, a fascinating I- idea of a game about playing a game. Yeah, I've had some some general experience with collectible card games. I think you're probably the expert in terms of collectible card game experiences because you played Magic the Gathering. Yes, twice. Yes. <laughs> Recovered completely? Yes, I think so. Okay, excellent. He doesn't never had that little itch to go back in? Uh, occasionally I ask my dad if he's got his old cards somewhere cuz I got him some cards once and he hasn't been able to find them, but I probably I probably play it and then probably sell them, but Okay. But I think you probably had the most experience playing collectible card games. Had, had a good run. Had a good run. <laughs> I had a brief stint playing some Yu-Gi-Oh. I'm so thankful that I got out of that. And Joel, you haven't really played any collectible card games. No, um, I played but never spent any money. And again, uh, he's the smartest one of the bunch here. Definitely. So. <laughs> but again, I feel like this game did a nice job of getting capturing the feel of collectible card games without having to dish out the constant flow of money to keep on top of things. Yeah. So, but again... I think of everyone in our game group, Jonathan, you were the most excited about Millennium Blades. Yeah, when I first heard about it, I was like, this is this is such an interesting idea. It's an unusual idea. And it, it really grabbed me because, I mean, long-time listeners will know, I love card games. I love combos. I love uh, hand management type things. And just this whole idea of, you know, I'm going to try to build the best deck. I'm going to try to build the best collection. I'm going to trade. I'm going to buy. Uh, I'm going to buy some packs and just hope that the thing I need is there. Um, Those kind of things are always appealing to me. And and there's nothing like the feeling of opening a pack and getting that rare that you're looking for, that that amazing card that's going to complete your collection or complete the deck that you've been working on so hard. Yeah. Now, now, Clint said that you were going to be disappointed in this game. Yes, he did. He really did. He said, Jonathan, you're going to be disappointed. And you know what? He's wrong. This game has lived up to its expectations for me. I don't think I had it overhyped like some games in the past. It's it. I think it does what it's trying to do for the most part. I mean, there's some niggling things with it here and there that we'll discuss in our in our review, but I think it, it I think it hits what it's aiming for. I think that really speaks volumes for you because you do have the habit of overhyping games. You get them, you're disappointed, and then you kind of regret it. But this, I mean, it it does live up to kind of what your expectations were. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to find out where this fits at uh, on the uh, fine scale. 
the very extensive detailed whatever rating system that Jonathan relies on. So what we're going to do is kind of dive into our kind of overall thoughts about Millennium Blades, kind of breaking down the different categories, then we'll give our overall thoughts there at the end. We don't like to give numerical scores to games. I just feel like that doesn't do a whole lot. But we want to talk a little bit about, for us personally, is this a game that we would like to punch? Uh, So we'll go out, buy it for ourselves, punch it out, keep it. It's going to be a part of our collection. Or is it one that we want to go out and play, try it out before you do it? Or is it going to be one we just think we need to pass on? So that's kind of how we're going to be approaching it. And uh, the first thing we're going to really dive into are the components of the game. Yes. Number one, it's a card game. I mean, you have to understand that coming in. And when you open up that box, when you grab that box, I was, when, I, when I opened the box, the outer box that was delivered in and picked up that box of the game, I was like, wow, this is heavy. There's a lot of cards in here. And sure enough, when you open it up, there's a lot of cards in there. There really box. are. Joel, what were your thoughts on the components overall? I think it was nice. I liked the wide variety of cards. The money was fun, uh, bundled. Um, the idea was you're supposed to throw down the bundles of money and representing all the money that you spend on collectible card games. So I thought it yeah, seemed Yeah, when, when you first showed me that the money is paper money, which I don't have a problem with paper money at all. Some, so you know what? Some people you know, hate it. I, I can completely understand the rationale and a lot of people hate playing with paper money and power grid. They want to have the poker chips and whatnot. But this is different. It takes a different approach. Like Joel was saying, you actually bundle stacks of money together using stickers. Yep. Each of your stacks represents a one, a five, or a ten. So, you know, you're throwing down these these bundles of, of ten individual bills that have been wrapped together to represent a big stack, a, a wad of cash. It's it's fun. It was a little bit of a pain to to bundle those together. It took a little bit of time to sticker those together, and some people have not been happy about that. But I I think it's fun. I think it's a little bit different. And, it adds and a I, I like unique it. little tactile part. I think if you were do, using a single one, a single five, a single ten, it just wouldn't have that same impact. It's kind of rewarding to, you know, yep. it's kind of painful also. Like, I'm going to buy a stack of ones. I'm going to dish out to buy this uh, pack of cards I was wanting to get. But I think it added something to it. And I think it might also inadvertently talk a bit, uh, be alluding to the meta of how much money you're going to blow on a collectible card game. So yes. I think it was interesting. Um I think it does take it a step above paper money without going to the less thematic poker chips and things like that. So I, I do like the money. And probably a lot easier to grab from the big stack and the sort of chaotic pass uh, of the game than if you just yeah. had single bills. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. Elements of this game are real time. That's important to know. We'll talk about that a little bit more in gameplay. But, you know, that it does make it handy to have a thicker stack, you know, to grab on and to, to, to quickly... Um, throw around and move around as you're trying to frantically buy your packs and figure out what you can afford and what you can sell. Yeah. When, to get when some you more first money. told me they were bundled together, I'm like, well, that's kind of odd. But actually playing it, I, I'm, I'm sold on it. I think it's a really unique idea here. Now, there's a ton of cards, like ridiculous amounts of cards in this box, and you don't play with all the cards. You don't. So one thing with this card is, or with this game rather, is everybody picks a character. Uh, and then everybody picks a starter deck that kind of is based on an element. So this game is set up on a system of elements, things like death, light, fire, air, water, and so on. And then you also, uh, you'll pick a deck that's kind of centered around the element. But each card not only has an element, it also has a type, like a soldier or an animal or a mythic creature or something like that. So there's lots of different things you can play off of the elements and the types of the cards. And then cards will also have a star rating, which is used in various ways, sometimes to score points, sometimes to clash against other uh, players' cards, which we can talk about a little bit more. Yeah. I think what's interesting here is, I mean, the, the, the artwork is very interesting. 
I think it really draws from a lot of different references. Yes. How did you feel about the cohesion of the art? The cohesion? Yeah. I mean, I, I felt like it, it was a challenging job trying to draw in all these because the game alludes to many different popular science fiction shows and oh, video absolutely. games. Oh, absolutely. I, I felt like it was a real challenge to try to make all that kind of fit together into, you know, one game. Uh, what were your thoughts, Joel? I liked the art. Honestly, I didn't pay too much attention because I was busy focusing on the game, but the cards I, I looked at, my, my egg card, Evil Beethoven, uh, the cards I did look at were really fun and, and well well made in their pictures. Uh, and I think they had a flavor text that also talked about each card, uh, which I didn't have time myself to read because I was constantly figuring out which cards to buy or sell, but I think you could really look at the cards and spend lots of time sort of getting into the game and the character of, this is my card, what does Evil Beethoven do? Yeah. And that's an interesting point. Uh, You know, there is that timed element. So you are in a hurry to quickly figure out what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish. But if you do take the time to look back at the cards, to read the flavor text, there is another level you can enjoy, which is kind of thematic for collectible card games. There's the, you know, yeah, I'm going to play the game, but there's also the I'm going to sit around and look at my cards and enjoy that experience too. Absolutely. I think to answer your question about the cohesion, I think it does a really remarkable job of kind of making it feel like it's part of this universe that they've created, this Millennium Blades universe. There are a ton of references from different things, and they tweak it enough that unless you know the source material, you may not get the reference. Yeah, I'm sure there's some I'm not getting. Yeah, but I was looking at like this one, like, oh, that's totally a Yu-Gi-Oh reference, or some of the video game references are a lot more clear-cut, but we didn't get to play with the... What, what are they? The, the Super Plumber Brothers? Super Plumber Brothers with uh, Marvio. Marvio, yeah. And Broly. I can't even say the name. Broigi. Broigi. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so being a big video game fan, I, I am looking forward to trying out the Mario and the Legends of Zelda themed cards. I think that would be really a lot of fun. Components wise, I mean, we've talked about the cards. Card quality is, is decent. We talked about the money. What did you think about the uh, mat? Everybody gets their own individual player uh, mat, and then there's a mat where you have the store in the center, and then there's a mat where you have uh, an aftermarket where you can sell some singles and people can buy them. What did you think about the, the mats? I mean, it's on cardstock. It's a, it's a decent quality there. Actually, on re- re- relation to the cards, I think they're I think they're more than decent. I mean, they're not like black core cards or anything like that. But I mean, no, they're good quality. They're, they're good, good quality. quality. Yes, for sure. I think the play mats. That's probably the weakest thing for me, honestly. Um, they're printed well. They're double sided. At least the individual player mats that we have. So you kind of flip them over depending on what phase of the game you're in. And but I think the biggest thing for me was. Not so much that they weren't thick, because I don't think that really mattered. It was the slipperiness of it. Because in the market, the store cards, you're laying a lot of cards out, and you'll be buying. So they're, And it's because of that real-time element, you're grabbing those cards very frequently. And it's not uncommon to have a card like get hit accidentally, and it spins and gets out of place or whatever. Not a huge deal, but I think that was the biggest thing for me. Yeah. I, I noticed, Joel, you had a, a couple times where you're trying to grab a card, and you couldn't quite get a grasp on it. Yeah. I got it eventually. Only took a <laughs> tiny bit of delay, but not the end of the world. What do you think would make that better for you? Uh, maybe if it was uh, sort of a cushy mat where you could sort of press down a tiny bit to help grab it up, but I think it'd find the way probably it was. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if they were able to, it would definitely boost up the cost, but if they had like a, like a mouse pad material or something like that, that would be just incredible. Yeah, that would be that would be a really nice upgrade for it, for sure. 
That's good. Well, I, I kind of feel like we might have left some people in the dust with the rules of this game, so I kind of want to go back and just do a real rough uh, overview of the of the rules. But like I said, everybody picks a character, everybody picks a starter deck based on their element, and each of those elements has a slightly different way that it's aiming towards winning. Um, some of them try to build up uh, points in the tournament by in-game scoring. Some of them try to do some clashes with other people or flip their own cards to score some points or just some come-into-play ability points but once you get your starter deck um, you kind of maybe flip through that a little bit and then you have some timed um, parts of the game where you're dealt out six cards from a stack now this is the this is the store stack the store is a huge pile of cards in the middle that you're going to get cards out of and you're going to buy packs from and basically it's it's every time you play you play with the core set which are just kind of the basic cards and the cheaper packs but you also mix in some master sets and some promo sets and you have all these different levels of sets that you mix in. Um, there's a nice suggested list of things to start with the first time you play the game. And then there's many different options you can do if you want to switch out the store. But you kind of have to mix these all up and build this big store store deck. I kind of felt like I was, you know, maybe building a legendary deck or something like that uh, in Marvel Legendary. But it's just, once you get that built, my recommendation is play with it a couple times before you break it back down and try to build a new one. That's a lot of cards to sort yeah, through. <laughs> it, it, it is, it is. So, I mean, I, I feel like the setup initially is, is a bit of a bear, but once you get that set up, just to leave it that way for a while until you're, you've, you feel like you've gotten uh, to know all those cards really well and you're ready to move on to some other sets and mix and match them out. But you get that big set of mixed-up cards of all different kinds of packs, and then you're going to deal out six to each player. You're going to give them their 30 Millennium, Bl- Millennium Blade bucks to start with. And then you're going to give them seven minutes to start looking at those cards they got, their new cards. Start. Um, you're going to deal out a bunch of cards with the backs showing, and the backs tell you what kind of pack it is and how much it costs, anywhere from three, four, five, six, depending upon what kind of uh, pack it's coming out of. And then the cards that are not from the core set, they have some kind of symbols on the back to kind of show you kind of maybe what the chances of getting certain types are. Of, of cards are yeah, it's or breaking, certain elements. Yeah, exactly. I, I really appreciate that because it kind of gives you some more information on what type of thing you might be want to go be going for. And so you're buying cards, you're paying the back, then once you grab grab that card, you flip it over and you actually get to see what you're getting. And it's kind of representing that's the rare of the pack. You know, It's kind of abstracted down to that. You can also sell cards and get some money back. You have a limited number of sales. Um, you have little tokens that keep track of that unless somebody buys your cards. And that's how you kind of keep some fl- some cash going. And then once you're done with that seven minutes, you get kind of a little, you know, a little break, and then you're you get to another seven minute period where you're dealt out six new cards, and then you can buy and sell a little bit more. And the thing that you have to keep in mind is you're working on your tournament deck, but you're also working on a collection. Sean, what can you tell us about collections? Uh, collections were a big pain in my rear, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> They were they they kind of yeah they were thorn in your side. I I, I I struggled to get a good collection going, but I I like the element. So essentially, like I was going for a water deck, and so I was really focusing down on I wanted to keep that theme going. So I started trying to find cards that went with water, and then I started getting like random little cards of different types uh, or different elements. And essentially, you can whenever you're creating a set, you're going to be doing it based upon a. a, a collection of elements or a collection of type. And so the more cards you have in your collection, the more 
victory points you're going to get for it. If you only have one card in your collection, it's not going to get you anything. You need to have at least two cards in your collection to start scoring some victory points. And I struggled. It wasn't really until that last round that I was actually able to get hardly any points off of that collection. I just couldn't find non-water cards that were the same type or element to really devote for that. But I think I got the I found my groove a little bit later, maybe a little too late, but yeah. So with those collection cards, the the one thing is, yeah, they have to share the same element or same type, but the trick is they can't be the same star value. Star value is kind of like how highly powerful how powerful that card is theoretically or the ranking of that card. And so you can go anywhere from like 1 to 10, I believe. And so you can't have two ones, even if they're different cards in your collection. You got you yeah. got to get different numbers, and that's the tricky part. That was that was the part that kind of like, okay, great, I've got I've got three light cards, and two of them are the same value. So it's it's tough, but I, I like that element because again, once you commit cards to that collection, they're essentially discarded. You're yes. keeping them in your collection. You're not actually going to be able to play with them. Yeah, once you score them for points, you discard them. They're out of the game. They're out of your cl- your they're out of your binder. Your your set of cards. And you're not going to be able to use them anymore. So you have to make that decision. Is this a card that's going to go in my deck? Is this a card I'm going to trade to somebody? Is this a card that's going to go in my collection to turn in for points? How do you feel about the collection aspect, uh, Joel? I thought the collection was fun. I don't know if this was a mistake or not. My first collection, I, I got rid of my most of my starting hand and got a whole bunch of early good points. Um, I had a light deck. and By the end, I only had two light cards in it. Um, but I think maybe I would have done it again to both to see lots of new cards and but who knows i thought the collection was fun though um to sort of and we didn't do too much trading but I, I think in the game you're supposed to sort of trade to get more in your set um i think we were all stingy and didn't want to give our <laughs> opponents um guilty, guilty as charged over here i'm sorry joel <laughs> but that's, that's an interesting a- aspect it's like you when you negotiate trades and whatnot you can actually ask for friendship points yes yes so Anytime you do make a trade, that's a good point. Uh, you have to make sure the star values are equal, or you could, you know, if somebody's trying to give you a four card, you could give them two twos. That's fine, or you can offset that with some money, a dollar for each star value. There is indifference, but sometimes still those trades are not equal. You know, you're getting a better deal, or they're giving you, you know, more than than you're getting out of it, or something like that. And you can sweeten that pot by giving them one of your. Um, friendship cards which are worth anywhere from one to three points at the end of the game so it's another way to get a few extra points and, and also keep that trade thing flowing a little mm-hmm. bit maybe but there was cards that i could have given jonathan that i think jonathan was wanting for but he didn't give me enough friendship points i'm so. sorry i'm sorry so. uh, I'm, uh, we, we weren't being very friendly i'm not we? friendly no. sorry <laughs> but it's fun i think if we had more people uh maybe a four people then we would have been trading more because it would have been less direct uh, competition knowing that if I help Jonathan out then maybe that's going to not be equal to the points Jonathan might beat me by true 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 uh as far as far else as gameplay you can and we've played this played it this way you can have another six minute period after that where you can't sell any more cards to the aftermarket but you can do any last minute tweaks you can buy some more cards you can trade um, and this is just a chance for you to make sure that you've got your collection in place. You've got your deck in place. Your collection can be any number of cards, but you got to have at least two to even get any points. And remember, they have to have different star values and then share a type or an element. And then you can have your deck, which is going to be eight cards, six of which are going to play in the tournament, and then a, a deck box, which is a fun little thing that gives you after. It's kind of a, a goal to go for in your tournament. Uh, a lot of them are based on if you play a certain number of element cards, you'll get so many points for each one or something like that. 
and gives you some kind of in-game scoring for the tournament itself. And then you can have two accessories, which are fun little things like deck sleeves to protect your your cards from being flipped over by somebody else or all kinds of other fun little things. Yeah, so beyond being able to buy blind packs out of the store and being able to buy individual cards that were already sold in the market, you can buy those for the for the star value. Yes. But you can also discard a certain number of cards out of your hand to buy fusion cards. And those are kind of souped up more powerful versions of the card you could like so you can you can do it for five, seven, and nine cards. Mm-hmm. So like there's a bronze, silver, and gold level. And so if you start getting a bunch of really cheap packs, maybe you're not getting the stuff you wanted to uh, put into a collection, you can just dump a bunch of those into the fusion and get a better card out of it. Hopefully one that would be beneficial for the deck you're building. Or worst case scenario, you're going to get something that could be sold or some trade bait or whatever. Yeah. And that's what I've seen from, you know, maybe you'll get something that you can build a deck around. You know, you can base your deck on something if you get a really good card or... Once again, you can trade it or sell it. I sold a 10-value card, got 10 bucks, kept on going, um, which came to back to bite me later on in the game, but yes, that's okay. Uh, or you can use them for, for your collection. I mean, it's nice to get those high-number stars in an element if you happen to get lucky um, of something you're trying to collect in your collection. That was also one of my favorite parts, actually, because I, I like the idea of getting this really super-powered, interesting card. But it's really it's pretty costly to dump a bunch of those cards out of your hand to be able to grab one of them. Yeah, because as you're selling cards, you have to turn in one of your sell tokens. Um, you could have anywhere from three to four, depending on how many players. And those are locked up until somebody buys one of your cards. But if you fuse a pack, number one, you can only fuse one, once of each level per, per each round. And then you have to uh, set one of your sell tokens there, and it's locked up for a while. You're not going to be able to use that. So it kind of, in a couple, in a couple ways, it kind of makes it a little bit costly to do that. I mean, you you may not want to do a ton of those, but it's nice to do a few of them, see what you get, and kind of experiment with that. Mm-hmm. As far as the rest of the game, once you're you're out of this phase, once you've done your deck building, your collection, you'll turn in that collection, like I said, for points. You'll move on to the tournament, which is really nice. You kind of flip your mat over. It's got the space or tableau laid out. Kind of gives you some uh, hints on different things, what the different elements are, what the different uh, types are. And then you're going to play, each person will play a card. You'll play a card, and then you can do an action either before or after you play a card. You need to play a card every time. And then, you know, a lot. like I said, a lot of the cards are give you points when they come into play for something. Maybe they, you know, you put a card in play, you get some points. You put a card in play adjacent to some certain type of card, you get some points. A lot of the, the cards are score. At the end of the round, at the end of the tournament, they'll score based on different scenarios, um, and then some of them have things where if you flip them, they'll give you some cards, you know, or if somebody else flips them, they'll give you some points. So you basically you're building up your ranking points throughout this tournament. Whoever wins gets the most ranking points at the end. That's that's going to be the determiner there. Yeah, but once a card is flipped over, you no longer get to use it for that. No longer represents that element or that type that you were trying to chain off of something else yep that, that's for sure which is important especially for like those deck boxes that score off of certain elements well that flipped over card is now no longer that showing the element so it's not going to give you those points yeah so you have to keep that in mind yeah the the clash element that was that was something that was i don't know how i feel about it just yet yeah clash uh i think the i think the the starting setup had less clash than some of the others. I, I mean, I've looked through all the cards and seen a lot more clash effects throughout. And I think that's just to kind of simplify the game and let you kind of get your feet wet as you're first learning how to play it. But 
Um, basically, any card that has an action, if you trigger the action, you flip the card over. Um, and then a lot of times you'll have a card that says action, clash, and then have some kind of results from it. So basically what a clash does is you, is you look at your rightmost card that's showing face up. You compare it to either one person or sometimes you clash everybody. And then each person will draw a card off the top of the store, flip it over, look at its star value, and add those two together. So if I clash you with my four and I drew a three, I have seven. You had a two showing, but you draw a six. Well, oh, you got an eight. You actually win the clash. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of randomness there. Since we didn't have a lot of clashes in the games that we've played of this, what happens in an event of a tie? In an event of a tie, that's a very good question. I think I'd actually have to look back in the rule book and make sure on that. Um, I think nobody wins, but I, I'll have to double check that. Okay. Because I think that was the biggest surprise for me in terms of gameplay. I expected it to be more attack-based, kind of like with Magic the Gathering. You're summoning things in play, and you're going to go and attack your opponent's cars to get it off the play. Same, same thing with Yu-Gi-Oh! and things like that. So I, I guess I think that as you expand and dive into different packs of cards there's going to be more cards that will encourage more of that sort of clash between a players to try to mess up their plans a little bit more yeah i agree with that i think part of it is you know you're playing six cards it's kind of abstracting the whole tournament out to six cards and you know that's part of it but yeah we we also didn't play with some of the most interactive cards and sets for sure but honestly for me I actually think I liked it more because we didn't have a lot of attacking. I think that's what kind of made me hesitant about Millennium Blades initially, because I'm like, oh gosh, I don't like overly aggressive games. And there are some things that you can definitely mess with your opponents. Because I played the the freeze card, which allowed pretty much froze you out in that last turn. You couldn't score any points that last round. Yeah, so that cost Joel and I both some points mm -hmm. on that one. I attacked Jonathan once, but his dex box protected him. <laughs> the dex sleeves, yeah. The dex sleeves. Yeah, that was good. So, yeah, we, we haven't, you know, gotten the full experience of clashing all the time, but we, we dipped our toes into clashing. But yeah, there's just so much in this box. It's ridiculous. It is. It is amazing. Yeah, the other thing I want to mention about the tournament is um, back in the buying and selling phase, you get a meta revealed. I didn't mention this. And it kind of gives you a hint about in the upcoming tournament what kind of decks are going to be hot and are going to be doing well. So you'll get some extra points if you have maybe a water symbol showing uh, in your tableau in the next tournament. Um, once again, if it's flipped over, it doesn't count. And then after you go to the second round of buying before the tournament, then you get a type meta revealed. That card will get flipped over. Maybe a soldier card will be worth 15 extra points. So it just kind of gives you some additional goals and things to shoot for. It can kind of change you know, what your strategy was going to be a little bit, tweak it a little bit maybe. Mm -hmm. I, I like that yeah. because, again, I kept my water deck going the whole game, but I was always trying to figure out, can I slip this soldier in somehow that's of a different element type? So, How do you feel about the meta thing, Joel? Um, it was kind of fun, kind of random, which I didn't like too much. Um, I didn't score too many points, which maybe I could have done better because I, I flipped a lot of my cards that had the one water or the one soldier, but had I thought out things perhaps more and had more familiarity with the game, then I think I would have liked it more, but add something to the game, but more yeah. random, which if you like random stuff, you'd like that meta element. Uh, I think that's fair to say that th there is a ton of randomness in this game. Yes. You're, you're buying into the experience. I mean, there is some strategy involved here, definitely so, but I mean, you're buying blind cards off the off the store or just gambling, but that's part of what makes CCGs kind of so addictive. Yeah. 
It's like, oh, man, I get this one card I need, you know? And then do you do you get a card that totally changes everything you want to do? And you're like, this card's amazing. Forget what I was working on before. I'm going to go ahead and do this. So, I mean, there is that. And there is a lot of randomness, number one. It's cards. We know there's randomness in cards. And I think this is a game that definitely does reward some familiarity. I mean, you, you're overwhelmed when you get all of these cards in front of you the first time. And you're just like, what, is, what do all these do? What am I looking for? You're just trying to kind of parse your way through that and, and figure out, you know, what is a reasonable tactic. And there is there are some decks where, you know, you flip over a lot of your cards for what, some reason or another. And they're not going to give you those those uh, in-game uh, rewards for meta, or they're not going to give you a deck box reward for that. So maybe you have to build your strategy a different way. Yeah, it, it was halfway through our first game that I it, I it finally clicked for me. There were a couple things that I goofed up in my head, even though I know you definitely said, oh, you can only have one card in your deck. And I was totally banking on <laughs> chaining the same card together, which, in retrospect, that would completely break the game. But... Yeah, I think that it. I think you do need to play it a few times just to get a feel for it, to get more familiar with the type of deck that you're wanting to build, how the cards function. Because some of those cards, they operate completely different. The strategy is completely different. We were finding some Earth cards. It was like, what are you doing? Yeah, you know what? How in the world am I gonna make something like this work? And maybe it's just a, maybe it's just representing one of those junky common cards you get in a collectible card game, but maybe it was if you had more cards that chained off of that using that same type of element type, you would find increasing value in that type of card. But I think it's a good point for the game that I want to play it again. I know that the first time I didn't understand quite everything was going on in the midst, but I had fun. But I think it's a game that if you really put your effort into it to learning it, you'd get a lot out of multiple multiple plays. Absolutely. I mean, I I was pleasantly surprised that I enjoyed it. I struggled in the beginning. I think I got a little frustrated with myself, not the game, in terms of uh, goofing up some rules or whatnot. But for the most part, yeah, I'm I'm with Joel here. I think I'm definitely excited to try this game out again. I think it's one of those things I think that will reward you with multiple plays. As far as gameplay, the only other things is you finish up your tournament. You know, whoever is in first is going to get a certain number of victory points, second, third, so on. And then you move on to another round of buying and selling. You get some new cards. You buy some new cards. You get influx of money. Uh, you build another collection. You do another tournament. And then you do that one more time to complete out the game. And as you go through, the tournaments become worth more and more points so that that final tournament is worth quite a bit more than the first one. Kind of rewards you. You're still doing the metas. You're still doing the you know the elements and the types um, that you can earn points in for those metas, but it's changing. And that kind of, for me, I, we can get to, to theme in a minute a little bit more, but that kind of hit me on theme because, I mean, when I did play Magic, when I did play things, the meta's always changing. Uh, I'm playing Lord of the Rings Living Card Game, and even though that's a cooperative game, my goodness, the meta changes all the time. I mean, they introduce new cards, and, and things change, and things become hot, um, and people are raving about certain ideas, and people discover certain combos, and, and I felt that kind of reflected that idea. No, it, it's very clever in how it ties in all these different facets of the collectible card game scene. The, the, again, they're selling it as a collectible card game simulator. Yep. And I think it does an admirable job for it. I think, because it, it does kind of streamline the card play element, because again, you have eight cards in your deck, you could have more if you had like a special uh, attachment or whatever 
or accessory. I'm accessory, sorry. yeah. So if you have a special accessory, you, like I was using the, a card accessory that gave me three extra cards in my deck, which gave me more flexibility to do other things. But I really enjoyed that. I think it because it wasn't as like okay, I'm summoning this level 14 monster, and you know, I'm going to attack your your the, these things. I, I I appreciated that it was more of the order in which you play cards in, chaining different abilities together to really maximize your points. And I, I think I, that really spoke to me quite a bit. And I know there can be a more aggressiveness with the clashing cards and all that. I think it just depends on the type of gameplay you're, or type of deck you're wanting to build. Definitely. Was there anything else you guys want to say about gameplay? I, I will say that in terms of buying the cards from the store... That's it's it's it can be equal parts frustrating and but I mean did you have a moment where you were buying a pack you're like oh yes yes this is a card I can definitely use because I think I had that one moment where I bought a basic you know core set Millennium Blades card just fully expecting I'm gonna buy it to use it for fodder to either put into a collection or to fusion some cards and it was like a high powered water card that worked beautifully that was the, the the most awesome experience i've had in that game which is that you get that one card and like oh my gosh yes did you have a experience similar to that at all i had a bunch of good cards that are like oh this looks fun but since i perhaps didn't have a cohesive deck that was really themed centrally other than a whole bunch of cards that can do good stuff there was nothing that spoke to me like oh i really needed this but i got some fun cards that are like oh i can use that and so i was putting things into things i would use versus things i wouldn't use um, and there was lots of things I said, oh, this could be good, and then pared down from that, but never the, the one card that came to me that said, this will, this will change everything. Maybe that's no, I also didn't win. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I had a moment where I had a card that I had picked up in a pack and um, used it in my deck. Uh, could have really burned me because I didn't read it completely. Luckily, you guys kind of maybe spared me a little bit. You guys could have messed with me a little bit. And then later on, when I realized it wasn't as great in my deck, I realized... It was just the card I was looking for for my collection. I was missing this one number, and it was the it was the number I needed. So I just slid it, slid it right out, slid it in my collection, fit perfectly, and it, it really I don't know. It was a, an exciting moment for me of ah oh, yes, this card's perfect for what I'm trying to do here. Not quite as exciting as for my deck, but still an exciting moment for me. Yeah, but I I think that was the part for the collectible card game, you know, the addict that comes out in you. Like I have to buy more packs to get that one card I'm looking for. I think that's when the game kind of hooked me, when I got a seven-star water water card uh-huh. off of a out of the core set. Yeah, that's exciting. And that was that was really cool. That brought back a lot of memories of search, hunting for certain cards and hoping you're going to get it. And so I really think that that's a really clever job of replicating kind of the general feel. Instead of buying a whole booster pack of several cards, I mean you get the six cards at the beginning of the time phase and whatnot. But instead of as opposed to going into the store and buying multiple cards, you're getting essentially you're getting like the best card out of the pack essentially. So, but I I like that element. I think it was really clever, and I think it does a nice job of simulating that addictive aspect of collectible card games without dishing out lots of money for it. That's paper money. Well, uh, let's let's talk about theme. I mean, I feel like you're already you're already broaching into that. You know, this game I feel like does a pretty good job of capturing the theme it's going for. Mm-hmm. It does. I mean, when we're talking about theme, again, this game throws a ton of references at you. Like, ridiculous levels of references. Referencing other collectible card games, 
we talked about the video game references thing references I don't even get myself but it's just there's a little bit of everything something for everyone honestly like I think I think it would be hard pressed to find someone who's into gaming that wouldn't get at least some of the references I think they did a great job with the theme um, I read the rule book uh, or skimmed it before I played and the rule book I thought was a fun read in and of itself beyond teaching the the game well but it it really catches the theme that you're playing this future alternate world and everyone loves Millennium Blades and you're getting to partake in it um, especially with the characters you can play as a character and you're this character and they have their own backstory um, so I, I think it ties really well into this theme of future card game competition um, so I think that Perhaps one of the best usage of, of theme and sticking to it. Yeah, because I mean, it, it really creates its own universe using other universes to kind of inspire it, which I think is neat. I mean, I think again, the, I think the art overall kind of communicates the type of theme it's going for. It definitely kind of strips down the essence of a collectible card game, so I think it it accomplishes what it's trying to do. If you hate collectible card games, you're not going to like this. Probably not. But if you like, I mean, even if you're into a little bit of the living card games, like all three of us, we play Lord of the Rings collectible, uh, sorry, living card game. And thank goodness it's not a collectible. Uh, but I think that it it speaks to me on some level. Uh, I don't know if this would be, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, so. <laughs> um, I think it does, a, it does a fine line of kind of walking that line of, of taking itself seriously, you know, posing this this world where everybody's competing, but also being very lighthearted at the oh, same sure. time with it. And I really think it does a good job of balancing that line, you know, with, with the funny little jokes on the flavor text and, and the references and all that kind of stuff. What about replayability or variability? What are your thoughts on that, guys? Ridiculous. That's all I have to say. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that I, I could see you playing five, ten times throughout the year. Um you got a group of people that would play with you, and you all said, we're going to play this game, we like it. Um, I think definitely your money's worth. I mean, you'll you'll like you said, you want to play kind of the stack of packs that you've assembled for the store a couple times to get a feel for it, because you're not going to go through that whole stack in one game. Yeah. Even playing the three tournaments, you're not going to go through that whole stack. I mean, I'm sure it's possible, but there's just a ton in there. And you can customize it and swap things out. So if you're wanting to go, you know, establish a different type of play style or you want to have a more in-your-face sort of game, you can put in packs that go and rely on those sort of abilities and whatnot. I think it's really, really cool. I don't think you're going to get tired of this. If you like the core gameplay of it, you're going to have lots of things you can very easily swap out and find new things, new strategies you didn't even know were possible. Yeah, I think there's a lot of exploration there. I mean, you've got, like I said, that big, huge stack of the store with all the packs in it. Plus, you're starting off with a different starter deck. You know, you can try out the different starter decks. They all have their slight variations on what they're trying to accomplish and where you're trying to go, different characters, you know. And so I think there's a quite a bit of replayability, and we haven't even dipped our toes into all the different um, expansions, and, and we've just looked at them and not get, gotten a chance to play every single one of them, but there is a lot of different variety in there, in that in that box. Yeah, and, and the Kickstarter, they're doing the Kickstarter now, so that game, that Kickstarter will end on July 24th, so there's still plenty of time for you to be able to jump in there, and there's lots of prom- promos you can pick up, and there's also some expansions, there's the set rotation set, which adds like 450 more cards 
just ridiculous amounts of content that you can do. Um, they're adding some mini-boss expansions, some cooperative play and all that. So it's it's really, there's so much you can actually get out of this. I think the core price currently on Kickstarter is 80 bucks for the base set, and you get some promotional cards as well. But you, I think you can go all in and get pretty much everything for 110 currently on Kickstarter. Yeah, and even if you already own it, there's if you look at the Kickstarter, there's some different expansions and things that you can get um, to add to what you already have right now. Yeah, but I mean, even with just the base set, there's so I mean, there's you were to kept pulling cards out of that box, and I'm just like, the the more you pulled out, the more excited I got about some of the other themes of the different packs and whatnot. And who who knows? Maybe I won't like the gameplay that it tries to tack on with those different packs, but just the theme alone of the different packs got me kind of excited about trying different things. Yep. Clint will be excited. There's some samurai in there. There, Yeah, and there's some pirate stuff too. Yeah, yeah. We should totally do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, what are your, your last thoughts on this? What are your final thoughts? I was pleasantly surprised in this game. I did not think I was going to like it that much. I'm just going to be flat honest with you. I thought it was going to be much more aggressive than it was. And again, I know that it can be more aggressive, but I think because it strips down the element of you're playing six cards every round and you're trying to chain your cards together to maximize your points, that really does a lot for me. And then again, if you see that, you know what, maybe I'm not going to be able to beat my opponent on the chaining my points together, I can mess with you a little bit and kind of see if I can throw a wrench into your plans to maybe get me ahead. So I like that. I like the sneakiness of trying to play a card that can kind of completely derail you. And I'm, I'm willing to take it. I can dish it out, and I'm willing to take it back. Because, again, those rounds go so quickly. And, you know, if you have a bad round, you have a bad tournament, you can go back and try to win that next one and really come out on top. I really liked it. Um, I definitely want to play it again several more times. Um, I like deck builders. I'd say I'd rather play this over Mar- Marvel Legendary or Dominion or something like that. So, for me, yeah, I, I think that I liked it a lot. Um, I think I liked the collecting and the building the deck more than the tournaments, but the tournaments were still good. But I, I really liked, especially it's a unique game with uh, sort of the real-time sort of chaos of which cards do I want to pick and looking at it with the timer. So I thought it's very unique, and I think it's definitely well worth the play for people to, to go out and see it if they either they buy it or try to play it at a convention. But um, I really liked myself, though. Two more things I want to add there. One... I really like that you get prom- promotional cards at the end of each tournament. Yes. It's a blind draw. I don't know if there was... Th- that was one part of me that was like, oh gosh, I wish I could like maybe pick and choose which promo, but I think that would unbalance the game. But I like the idea that you everyone gets a promotional card at the end of a tournament. Yeah, you get some kind of a reward, yep. And second thing, there's no backseas in this game. Yes, the rulebook specifically says, and, and Clint and Sean were excited about this, you know, it says if you make a mistake, you just have to go with it, roll with it, and to kind of have have a, a little bit looser attitude. It is representing a very competitive world, but it's also trying to do it in a fun, lighthearted sort of way where, you know, if you make a little mistake, oh, well, go with it. Clint, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Clint would would be happy about this yeah and sean would be happy not having to watch me redo my turns over and over (laughs) and over again i didn't say a single thing jonathan and i feel like i did a pretty good job you did you did a good job of not trying to take any turns back so i feel like you actually finished with time to spare a lot of the times yeah because i mean seven minutes six minutes that it flies by but i think once you've committed to kind of strategy you're going for you may not need the whole time but i also came in last guys (laughs) So is this, you're saying that maybe we should give you eight minutes instead of seven (laughs) minutes? Maybe. (laughs) 
but yeah, I think overall for me, if I were to kind of put it into the punch it, play it, or pass on it, I would definitely put it in the play it. I don't feel like this is a game that for me personally, I would get a lot of play out of with the type of people I play. Now, I think if someone in my group with Jonathan, for example, owning it, oh yeah, I'm going to enjoy playing this quite a bit. But I don't, for me, it's a play. Definitely. I will love to play it. I think it's not going to be for everybody. I think if you're even remotely interested in it, you owe it to yourself to at least try it out. Like Joel was saying, try it out at a convention. If you have a buddy that has the game, try it out. And if it's really your thing, I think it might end up becoming a, a punch for you. But the other thing is that I see, I like to have games that are that work well with two players. And the two-player game is different. Yeah, there is a variant. The two-player game focuses, instead of getting victory points for the collections, you actually turn in two collections each time. And then those points are just added into your ranking points for the next tournament. So they're part of the next tournament points. And then you just you just get your victory points based off of the tournament, what you come out on that. Okay, so it's a little bit of a difference. I think I'd like the two-player almost better because then if you really want to go to an attack deck, you can really attack your person and play really cutthroat with if you're playing that in multiple players, you could really hurt one person, but then the person you didn't attack, they're like, oh, that sucks for that person, but I'm glad he didn't attack me. Or you'd get really frustrated. Why is Sean always picking on me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And some cards do clash with multiple people. Some focus on, on one other person. So there is some variability there in that too. Yeah. But for me, I would put this at a at a punch it. I mean, this is a game that I had looked at for a long time, was very interested in, wanted to learn more about. And I would definitely say if you are the type of player who likes to play card games, if you have any interest in collectible card games or living card games or any of that kind of thing, if you really like hand management, if you really like, you know, the uh, frantically trying to figure out, you know, what cards can I get? What can I do to complete this set? What can I do to, to make this killer deck for the tournament? This is a game that would appeal to you. But definitely give yourself the chance to go out and try it if, if you haven't. Look into it in more detail if you haven't haven't looked at it either. Joel, how, how would you rate this for you? I think you've kind of answered this. I'd rate it high. Um, it's not Agricola, uh, but... <laughs> what is? What is? What but is? I, I think it's, um, it's a great game. I, I liked it um, a lot. And um, Whenever Jonathan brings it and Jonathan says I want to play it, I'll play it with Jonathan. So All this right. is more in the, in the play it category, not necessarily something that you think you need to own for yourself. No, I don't think I would buy it since I feel like if one person in our group has it, that's probably enough for me. I don't know if my wife would like the chaos and things like that. Maybe she would, but... That's the thing. I think with Joel and myself, we play a lot of games with our wives. And so I think that if your wife isn't into or the, you know... your Did your wife play any type of games like that? Like the deck building sort of stuff? I mean, you play uh, She Dominion. loves Dominion, but um, I think she would like Dominion more than this. But I like this more than Dominion. Yeah, my wife doesn't want to touch any type of collectible card game, living card game. It's just not her thing. So I think that's the, the one knock. I think that if you... If I had a dedicated group that would play this and Jonathan didn't already have a copy, I think it might definitely be higher up and I might consider actually getting it because I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. And, and this is a game I've also played with my kids too and, and they enjoyed it and had a good time and they, they whooped me in it too. So this is a running theme there. <laughs> but but it's a game that I've lost every time I've played it but still had a lot of fun playing it. So yeah. that's a good thing. I was greatly surprised by this. I think it's a fantastic game. I think it's going to appeal to... We, we've talked a lot about kind of who this game is going to appeal to. 
I think, you know, th- again, I, I even alluded to that this is not going to be a game that's going to appeal to everybody, but I think there's going to be a dedicated core that's going to love this game to death and is going to keep it alive for a very long time. So what type of play game player do you think this game is going to appeal to the most? Uh, like I said, card game players, collectible card game players, people who have maybe in the past played collectible card games and, and still have that fond, nostalgic feeling about it, but don't want to spend money all the time on it. It's a good it's a good way to dip your toe in that and kind of get that feeling again uh, and in, in, in a good little game. Yeah. Be willing to take the chaos and the randomness. But again, even when you're playing collectible card games, you're going to get luck of the draw. Things may not go your way. So I think it does a really nice job of capturing that feel. Any thoughts on players that may like this or would definitely want to stay away from this game, Joel? Um, I think if you completely hate random chaos, um, then this definitely wouldn't be for you. I don't really like random elements in gameplay, but I liked it in here. I thought it did well, and at least it it tied in thematically very well. And there wasn't random dice rolls or at least something like that. But I think most people who are into board gaming, I don't think my sister um, or brother-in-law who don't play too many games, I don't think I would want to try to get them to play with it. I think that they might get overwhelmed. It's definitely a heavier game, and so if you're new to the hobby, um, it may not be for you. Yeah. I think there's a lot of there's a lot going on, but really, I feel like the gameplay is very simplified. Because again, it's just six cards you're playing. It's not overly complex when you get there. I think it's the building the cards and figuring out how they all fit together that's really the heavy part of this game. Because once you can kind of start figuring out how your cards chain together, the playing of the cards isn't that difficult. Yeah. So it's deceptive. It's it's deep because there's so much variability in there. But I think the gameplay is actually pretty straightforward overall. But I agree with Joel. I do not think this is a this is not a gateway game. Not not a gateway game. <laughs> but I think that if you can maybe get some people that are interested in that the idea of clickable card games or maybe have, were intrigued by it but never really got into it, they might be able to pick up some aspects of this. And I think you want to play the intro game. They at least get a feel for how those different decks work. I mean, it's very straightforward. I mean, you have your starter deck and you're just playing those the cards in your starter deck. You're not really doing a whole lot else with it. Yeah, the first time uh, you play the game, they recommend that you do the pre-release, which basically replaces the final tournament with a just a very short tournament where you're just playing your starter deck. So, And obviously you only have, uh, I think you have only seven cards to pick out of in that starter deck. And you'll play six of those, and then you'll have your deck box and one accessory already, your deck sleeves. So it's a very simplified uh, tournament, very sh- kind of streamlined, but just to get you the understanding of how the card play works and how they, you know, the cards affect each other, and just some basic ideas of the of the game. I think some people could definitely skip it, but I think it was helpful for me just to kind of get an understanding of how the flow of the game is going to work. Yeah, that's when I, when we were first doing the, the first time we played, we did the the pre tournament, and I was like, oh wow, this is a lot different than I was in, expecting. So that got, kind of got me in the mindset of how the rest of the tournaments were going to play out, and yeah. started seeing some overall strategies within that starting deck to build upon. So. Yeah, high marks for me. I definitely think that if you have any interest, definitely see if you can uh, rustle up someone that might already own it, give it a try. But if you are already a dedicated, you like this type of gameplay, I think this might be a go out and buy it. So definitely check out the Kickstarter if this something is something that sounds interesting to you. It's, it's not a small chunk of change to plop down, but you're getting an immense amount of replayability and value out of this game, honestly. If you think that you're going to enjoy the gameplay, I think you're going to have a lot to keep you busy for a very long time. Okay, we have to do a punch list now. Uh-oh. 
Alright, so for those of you that are unfamiliar with the punch list, I'm going to pro propose some sort of category, some condition, and the other two have to meet the condition that they have no idea about. It could be a specific game, it could be a new card, but here's what I'm going to propose to you. In the game of Millennium Blades, what type of card pack, what theme of card pack would you want to see in Millennium Blades? We've already got some of those video game things like Mario and Legend of Zelda, a lot of other references like uh, Firefly and stuff like that, but what theme would you want a card pack built around in Millennium Blades? Okay, okay. So you're going to start us off? I don't have one. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I think pretty much any theme that I could think of um, is probably in there. Um, I like Mario. I like Zelda. I like Lord of the Rings. Um, I think that they tried to, within copyright, talk about X-Men and things like that from what I briefly looked at. So I, I think it probably has, hopefully, whatever you're, you're into. Yeah, the, the rotation set actually has the Game of Rings, which is kind of the Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones mashup there. Gosh, this is popped in my head and I really don't have a way to answer this. I think it's a fun question, but I'm not sure you're going to be able to answer it. I think I got one. I would want one uh, themed about um, working in the office of the registrar uh, <laughs> where I work. Um, I think it could go really well. You could have the the, the missed withdraw date uh, that could basically cancel out or add drop cards. I think I'd have to think about it, but I think that's what I would want. The, the registrar pack. That's awesome, Joel. <laughs> Could your deck box be in the shape of like a cubicle or something cool like that? That'd be fun. Yeah, I think that you could build that. Um, I'll think about that. But that's what I would want, the Registrar um, deck pack. Hmm. I'm trying to think of things that I would... You got something, Jonathan? I, I don't have a solid idea, but I would think... I Ooh, I know what you would want. I can already answer yours for you. I just got to. Okay. But I think for me, some kind of maybe... Uh, Something kind of like Android Netrunner where there's, you know, hacking on and getting into uh, cyberspace in kind of a virtual reality way. Something along those lines. Yeah. I think I might. I was. I had a lot of ideas brewing in my head. I thought Bioshock. I thought Gravity Falls. But I think I would probably like to see like kind of the hard-boiled detective film yep. noir sort yep. of theme within that. You, you looked at my poster. I, I, I was like, what, 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 what? what? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I bet you there probably is one in there, I or maybe the I haven't seen it yet, but maybe in the in the in the upcoming sets. So again, I love the video game themed one. So any type of video game themed one that I think that I'd be all on board with that. So next time we play, we should do Zelda and Mario and others. Let's do it. I, I'm on Let's board. It. Let's do it. So I think that brings the conclusion of this episode of the Punch and Played podcast. As always, you can like us on Facebook, you can follow us on Twitter at PunchPlayed, and you can find us on our website at punchedandplayed.com. Again, special thanks to Brad from Level 99 Games for giving us a review copy of this game. Fantastic game. Really excited to jump at this again. But until next time, remember, if you're going to punch them, make sure you play them. Play them.